engaging in debates, but in the right way. On the programme today, we hear from a former leader of the Green Party after a day spent on Andrew Ward's farm. There was actually more common ground, she said, than what, what, what she thought there would be. Andrew, as I'd expected from our Twitter discussion, you know, is very much a, a, what you might describe as a conventional farmer, broadly farming in conventional ways, but with concern about the environment. More from Natalie Bennett and Andrew in a moment. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. We talked a fair bit about the weather last week on the programme and after another wet week, it is fair to say it's really taking its toll on many in the industry. In response, this week the NFU has reopened its free fodder bank service, helping members find much-needed animal feed and bedding follows discussions with Forage Aid, of which Andrew Ward is a trustee. Quite a lot of it is the shortage of straw and the shortage of hay and silage that stemmed from last summer's and last autumn's rains. And and as a charity, we are there to help people, but our our sort of um, mission statement and our criteria is we help people on the back of an extreme weather event. So an overnight weather event, when you wake up in the morning, pull back your curtains and you have 10 feet of snow outside or floods that you didn't know was coming, that is when we will help. Mm. And, and uh, you know, we rely on donations from other, other people. One thing that would help you, though, is to have regional coordinators, wouldn't it? To have people in yes. different regions around the UK who can spot those kind of extreme events that you're talking about. You're right, and that's what we do need. And we are looking for that now. We're looking for... Uh, people who will work with us for regional coordinators because where we are and the trustees of the charity there's eight of us but we need people on the ground we need eyes and ears on the ground in the area and livestock farmers as I suppose most farmers are, are very proud people and in Cumbria when we had the floods in Cumbria two years ago we did experience uh, that farmers were, were, were very sort of shy in coming forward to us and it was often people on the ground that, that realised or knew people that were in trouble and came to us. So that, that's no, not, not only the role of the coordinators, but we want them also. Um, local knowledge is key. We will use livestock uh, markets, auction markets as a delivery hubs. And so it's people in the areas uh, that are affected and also the donating area where the feed and the lorries will be loading up from is people to sort of coordinate and help us with the deliveries and monitor to the markets and, and manage the, the haulage and, and that sort of thing. Well, if you think you can help Forage Aid, then uh, do get in touch. You'll find all the details online. And, of course, more about the Fodder Bank as well, either with them or with the NFU. Now, while chatting with Andrew Ward, we also discussed recent articles again in the newspapers and quite ferocious debate uh, in some parts of social media about the issues of intensive farming. Are farmers doing more harm than good? which are affecting bird species and wildlife. Well, as you might imagine, Andrew disagrees with that latter statement. Exactly, Sean. It's one thing that really does get me um, going a little bit. Um, and as you know, um, on social media, it's very open. Uh, it, it's like um, a friend of mine says that social media is like a tube of toothpaste. Once you squeeze it, it's out there. You can't take it back. And it's right. And so we do have to sort of think about that. And it's the generalisation of farming that really gets me going. And yes, there are bad farmers out there still that aren't doing things of nature and, and the countryside and the environment but there's an awful lot of farmers now are doing things and a lot of bird number declines have reversed and we have got a huge number of birds on this farm now songbirds i'm talking about um we've got six and eight meter flower margins uh, around every field which is helping enormously and 
Yeah, we do have um, sort of disagreements and discussions on Twitter, as you know. Some of them do get quite heated, but I always end up, if the person I'm engaging with and I'm talking to can't see or understand what I'm trying to say, I do invite them onto the farm, and I think we need to do more of that, and I think that is a hugely beneficial thing. And I did have, uh, in January, I had Natalie Bennett, who was the ex-leader of the, of the Green Party two or three years ago. She came and had seven hours on the farm here. And it was great. You know, she went away saying that there are still differences and there are areas that we won't agree on. But there was actually more common ground, she said, than what, what, what she thought there would be, which is great. So farm visits and taking people up. So if anybody listening sees any offers of, of farm visits on, on Twitter, whether it's from me or anybody else, please do take them up because we are opening our doors to the public and we'll quite happily show them what we're doing to help the environment and help wildlife and nature. We've nothing to hide and we'll show anybody whatever they want to see. Andrew Ward there, he really will talk to anyone, you know, even me. Anyway, he mentioned that visit back in January of Natalie Bennett, the former leader of the Green Party. Well, Natalie is on the phone. What was the uh, aim of the visit? Um, well, Andrew and I sort of first made contact when we had a, had a very civilised debate on Twitter, perhaps not a phrase you hear very often, discussing the question of whether glyphosate um, should be banned. Uh, and so he invited me over very kindly um, to show me what he was doing, how his farm was working, uh, and so I took him up on that, and so I spent most of a the day there, which was very informative, very interesting, and we had some great discussions. Was it your first time on a farm? Uh, absolutely not. Uh, my first degree was actually agricultural science. Uh, the accent might tell you that that wasn't in Britain, it was actually in Australia. Uh, but I spent time there working on a number of different farms, everything from dairy farms to pig farms, to uh, right through to big extensive cattle farms in northern Australia. Uh, and since I've been in Britain, I've been very much interested in food security, uh, food issues, farming issues. And so I visited many farms and particularly market gardens, looking at how we can really secure the food supply. So what did you find on, uh, on Andrew Ward's farm? Well, I found that, that Andrew, as I'd expected from our Twitter discussion, you know, is very much a, a, what you might describe as a conventional farmer, broadly farming in conventional ways, but with concern about the environment. And, you know, he's planted hedges, thinking about wildlife. He's got some fields that have gone zero till or minimum till. You know, he's trying to do the right things and progressing in some good directions. But we're still looking at, you know, a kind of farming that we're starting to realise big, extensive monoculture just really is not sustainable. And one of the things that I was talking to Andrew about was, of course, the issue of the biology, uh, the ecology is there, but also the issue of markets and how we can make sure farmers are paid enough to actually be able to care for their land and their soils um, while also producing the food we need. Was there anything that surprised you, maybe changed your mind about some things? Um, I don't know whether it changed mind. I mean, I, I thought it was very interesting. You know, Andrew showed me his, his, his chemicals broom, and you know, it was, I mean, I knew there was a lot of chemicals being used in farming, but it was, you know, it was a reminder of just the, how extensive our use of chemicals is in farming. And you know, we're looking at some of the studies that have come out recently in, in Germany, the study that showed that 75% of insects have been lost in the last three decades. And just last month, the study from France that showed wild bird populations down a third in just 15 years. You, it's a reminder of, of how much we have created a chemical countryside and how much we, we've poisoned so much and that we can't keep going that way. But there were positives as well from the visit, yeah? Very much so. And I think one of the things that Andrew has promised me that he's going to come to the Oxford Real Farming Conference um, next January. Uh, and one of the things that I think we need to do very much is you know, put, bring together conventional farmers, 
like Andrew, who were you know, really focused on, on doing the right thing, on, on looking for ways forward, on looking for alternatives, with some people who perhaps are starting from perhaps a less commercial framework, people who are, who are looking at alternative ways of farming, and bring together the knowledge and the skills and the cultures of both groups so that they're able to talk to each other, learn from each other, and really find a way forward for, particularly, I'm, I'm interested particularly in small family farms, smaller scale farming. You know, Andrew's a pretty big farm, but um, you know, right across the scale, ensuring that we can farm in a way that feeds our people, that ensures that farmers have a sustainable business and looks after our countryside and our wildlife and our soils. And having spent the day on the farm, then, if there was three things you'd like to change, like Andrew to change, as a, as you know, he, he himself admits there are some bad farmers out there, but he's one of the, the good ones. What would those three things you'd like him to change on his farm that would would be better? Do you think for for you know the green policy, if you like? Well, I think I preface this by saying that you know what needs to change here also is that um, you know, to do these things, he needs probably to be paid more. That means we then have an issues of, you know, cheap food. Some people can't feed themselves in Britain even now with current food prices. So we're talking about the whole structure of society here. But coming back to the sort of the ecology of it, you know, what I'd like to see is fields, which I've seen, for example, in Germany, you know, fields farmed in much smaller strips, a mixed biodiversity, different crops, much greater variety of crops. So looking, looking at a much more biodiverse kind of culture, I think there's some real questions about whether we can be growing rapeseed in Britain. You know, it's become a huge crop, a massive crop, but it's a very chemically um, dependent crop. Uh, and, and I think the third thing is is that we, you know, we Andrew is actually doing this in terms of looking at using some human labour. It's one of the way he's dealing with some of his weed problems. Um, you know, we've actually got to think about farms, market gardens as a place where we grow food, provide lots of small business opportunities, and provide lots of jobs for people. Finally, obviously, you mentioned you had a good debate with uh, with Andrew on, on Twitter. We, we we see on social media quite often quite fierce debate and well, some appalling comments uh, being directed towards uh, towards some in agriculture. I guess you you would want to go down that route of a, a fair and a pleasant debate, and where possible, you know, go and have a look at the farm yourself and, and speak to farmers directly. Very very much so. I mean, I, I think you know, Twitter can be a wonderful tool, um, and it's a chance for people who perhaps might not talk other ways to talk to each other. And we've all got a responsibility to do everything we can to make it a you know, not a hostile, horrible space, but a space in which people can talk to each other, learn from each other, make contact, and you know start to build the kind of drastic changes we need in our society, politically, economically, socially, and environmentally. Thanks for joining us. Former Green Party leader Natalie Bennett there after a day on the farm, engaging in debate the right way. Well, Andrew Ward obviously invited Natalie Bennett onto his farm. He's done the same for others. And of course, in June, it's Open Farm Sunday again, which is a great chance to either show what happens on your farm or, if you're not in farming, a good chance to go along and find out for yourself what is happening there, as Natalie Bennett did. We'll have more on Open Farm Sunday in a few weeks' time. We devoted much of last week's programme to the wet weather. How has it been affecting potatoes, though? Colin Jackson is from PJP. How are things, Colin? (laughs) Well, as far as the current crop, you know, last year's crop, as it were, um, it can only help um, because it's going to extend the season um, as far as what people uh, will require potatoes for of the old season. So so it's actually not a bad thing. Um, And certainly good quality... Um, 
produce is now becoming worth more money as people realise the season is going to be extended. So best packing, Maris Piper, for instance, has gone up quite dramatically recently, um, even to the point where we're sort of over £300 for, uh, for top quality. And also best quality baking potatoes as well. You know, now they realise that... Uh, the, the early season bakers are likely to be behind themselves. Um, again, values have gone up a little bit. Um, hasn't particularly affected all the trades, and so the sort of bottom end of the trade is still where it is at anywhere from sort of realistically 30 to £40 pounds a tonne um, for peeling potatoes um, upwards from there. But, um, as I say, has given us a little bit of uh, life in the other end. As they say, every cloud has a silver lining. So. Yeah, that's it, that's it. What about generally then, the new campaign? Well, yeah, I mean, as far as planting goes, there's really very little gone in. Um, we generally like to start planting in Lincolnshire, sort of the earliest go in middle part of February, um, if we can, to get um, sort of the rocket and some early marriage barred under polythene. Um, and some li- there was a little window there and a few bits and pieces went in, but really there was only about a week where, you know, there was a window to get anything in the ground. Um, so there was there was a small amount went in, and then about a month ago there was another small amount went in. But realistically, most people are still sitting and waiting for the ground conditions to come right. Um, and even those that went in, you know, it has been so cold that um, you know potatoes don't like to sit in cold, wet conditions in the ground. Um, so a lot of people have just decided we'll leave them in the chitting shed um, and uh, you know when it comes right right they'll get it in and I think that genuinely is the best decision unless you need a really early crop. And I guess the worst thing that can happen is put them in the ground and we then have three months of a heat wave I'm not saying that's going to happen but that would not be ideal either would it? No well that's exactly right Um, you know if you if you maul them in you know into wet conditions and then it comes hot you know the ground will cap um and uh so yeah it really is a case of biding a time at the moment for most people um and also when potatoes go in very well and all early you're on a hiding to nothing on the crop um you know you're going to get a good crop and and relatively poor prices when um, potatoes go in in difficult conditions like we're seeing at the moment and late conditions generally that's when we actually get a better season better returns for the growers um, and slightly less yield so that's realistically it's actually probably the best thing that could happen and you mentioned the maris pipers earlier but price is good at the moment then yeah a massive variation there really is there's there's prices down at um you know 30 to 40 pound a ton and and there is prices at the other end you know for the very best that people are looking for you know over 300 pounds a ton now so it's not very often we see such a big variation between the top and the bottom of the trade Thank you, Colin Jackson, PJP. Back to our talking point from earlier, having dialogue with those who might disagree with your farming methods. Fair and reasoned dialogue, though, it has to be said, whether in person or on social media. Let's get the view from our agronomist, Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. Yes, good morning, Sean. I mean, that's a sentiment I echo. I think the most important thing in this industry is that we all keep talking to one another, but there's no point talking unless we're going to listen. And if you think about organic farming, a hundred years ago it was all organic farming. There were no pesticides, there were no artificial fertilisers. It was all done with organic manures from cattle and livestock. It was all done with rotation and spring cropping and cultivations. That's how it worked back then. Um, But modern agriculture has evolved from that because where we are today, we're feeding 64 million mouths. 
100 years ago, we were feeding 32 million mouths in this country. So therefore, the whole world population has increased. So we've had to find ways of ensuring there is a plentiful, affordable, nutritious, safe supply of food out there for people to eat. And that's where we are with modern agriculture. But I don't think we should stop there. I think we should keep talking to organic because we can still learn an awful lot of what's going on. We already employ most of those practices out in the field anyway. We're using rotation. We're using spring cropping. We use cultivation. We're using integrated crop management. We let the predators and the beneficials in the field deal with problems of insects. And we only ever step in if they're becoming overrun by the problem and they can no longer cope. Same with diseases. We use varieties which are resistant to disease to try and minimise the amount of fungicides etc that we have to apply. So all of those principles are being applied out here in the field. And when I hear um, people talking about there is only organic is good and conventionally is bad, it frustrates me because we're all out there protecting the environment and looking after soils and looking after the ecosystem and looking after wildlife. We're all doing the same job. Farming is farming. Food production is food production. And while there are people who are well trained like me and the thousands of other agronomists, farmers and operators out there, you can be happy in the knowledge that the food that's being produced is safe for you to eat um, and it's going to remain plentiful as long as those people in the EU don't ban everything we're using. And then we really will have to talk to the organic people. Uh, but it's not just talking which is important. Listening is the key to the thing. So um, agronomy. Yeah, I, I uh, hesitate a little bit because I think we had a nice day. I was trying to recall when it was. But anyway, since that nice day, it's done nothing but rain. We've had a lot of rain once again. So I'm looking at all seed rape that is around three weeks to four weeks behind where it was this time last year. Um, I had full flower on my all seed rape this time last year. I have not a single field out of 5,000 acres which is in flower or that even looks like it's going to be in flower within the next 10 days. So things are running backward. Now pollen beetle obviously is the thing we're all out there looking for. Remember those thresholds. Remember there's a reason we have them and that is so that the beneficials can do their job and there is no economic justification in going in when pollen beetle levels are below threshold. Leave them in there because in a couple of weeks when these crops flower not only will they help pollinate the crop but they will also provide a massively important food source for the swallows and the house martins that are going to turn up over the next couple of weeks and wonder what the hell they've done and which they must have taken a wrong turn somewhere to end up in a country with weather like this. So there's no point charging out. I've seen nothing in 5,000 acres which makes me want to put an insecticide on. If you do have to go because threshold are being met and exceeded then choose a product like Tauflovalinate which is kind to those beneficials out in the field and will only target the pollen beetle. Um, winter wheat, winter barley, disease levels starting to increase now. Septoria moving around in the bottom of these wheat crops with quite alarming um, regularity and frequency. You don't have to look for it. Yellow rust as well. You can find it in leads. Obviously in reflection you can find it in skyfall. Plenty of yellow rust starting to appear. This is perfect weather. Wet and cold. Just perfect for uh, yellow rust proliferation. Now, if you haven't got that T0 on and you are approaching growth stage 31, 32, you may want to discuss with your agronomist whether it's worth bringing your T1 forward a little bit. Because don't use, as I've said before, the T0 as an excuse to delay T1. The T1 timing is vital. Leaf 3 emerging at the moment on some Kerin winter wheat on Lincoln Heath I, that was drilled on the 12th of September into non-black grassland. I can find leaf 3, the tip of leaf 3, 
poking out. It's nearly up to my knees. I can find it um, just about a week away from poking out in a field of Kerry next door, which was drilled on the 5th of October. And remember, it is all down to filicron. It's all down to day temperature now. Um, because that is what's going to govern leaf emergence. So don't just assume that a field's tall, therefore it'll, have a f it'll be more forward than a field which is shorter. Cut them open, have a look, and for goodness sake, make sure those timings are right. Combine that T0 in with the T1, but be robust with triazole, SDHI, and of course the multi-site inhibitors, the chlorthalonils, are a vital part of all of that. Um, so it's interesting stuff going on out there. I've got a few fields of sugar beet in, not many. One of them just starting to prick through. I've got a few fields of spring beans in, not many. I've got a few fields of spring wheat in, but I think we're getting too late for spring wheat. Spring barley's still going in the ground, and I do think there is still time for spring barley to cover its costs and give you a bit of a return. Remember last year some of it went in and then sat there for eight weeks in a drought and didn't come up till the end of May and was still very respectable in the sort of 2.75, 2.85 tonnes per acre. So I don't think all is lost yet but under no circumstances calendar date farm because we are way out of whack with that at the moment as oilseed rate is proving so the good news is i think the rain was just that little bit warmer this morning which means spring must most definitely be on its way and about time methinks weather soon thank you sean smiling of smiling agronomy services on to grain then just before the weather it's chris spratt from open field this week good morning sean uh, what's happening well uh, i suppose several things throughout the course of the week really worthy of note the usda report came out midweek uh, I have to say that was fairly lacklustre in its influence on the market. Uh, I think that over in the US they're, they're still more concerned uh, as we are here with spring planting conditions. Um, I, I think the next month's report will be the uh, the first stab at uh, world uh, S&D for next year, so that will be the interesting one, I think. Domestically, we continue in the same vein. Um, on old crop wheat and barley, that's still performing well as we get into the last quarter of the season. Um, certainly it's tight out there. Uh, not a tremendous amount to go for and still um, while we've had this inclement weather domestic compounders have been fairly busy and uh, adding adding to that demand uh, one point of note i think obviously spring plantings in the uk um you know it's it's obviously a significant area uh, i think once uh, growers can travel crops can go in the ground at a rapid rate but it's getting that uh, land prepared in good order which is more critical for spring crops than for, for winter crops and it's getting a little fraught uh, and I have to say very close for anyone to call the eventual outcome uh, I'm, I'm sure there'll be plenty of the listeners out there Sean saying get the grain man off and let's listen to the weather for next week uh, Also, rate domestically well consumers still buying spot and mouth uh, and the market moves up a few pounds when they want to do something and then drifts back down Internationally, just looking forward at, at, at the market generally, it is extremely complex. I don't think anybody would deny that looking forward to next year and, and very difficult to get any clarity. You know, soya is obviously a big influence in our market. The Argentinian crop, uh, ever-decreasing forecast there, which will be bound to have an influence at some stage on the meal side of things anyway. But we've got now possible issues over the delay in the U.S. plantings there, U.S.-China trade relations... You know what's going to be the effect on the, the knock-on effect on oilseed rape on that, and and you know we are seeing cr crushers um, closing oilseed rape bio uh, biodiesel plants in Europe, uh, and and it's a very ill-defined and extremely complicated market um, looking forward, and a long way to go I think before we get a clear picture. 
But around the world, it is. It's weather, weather, weather. Whether it's in the UK, uh, you know, the States, uh, or Russia, and I think certainly in this in in the UK over the next two to three weeks, it's very critical what happens, and we could see a lot of last minute changes of uh, policy as to what gets drilled. As far as feed wheat prices are concerned, uh, in the south, 147 up to the north at 155 X farm for May. Uh, group 1 premiums, round about £7 in the, in the mid to north links area. New crop prices, again, big range, 138 to 143 for harvest with the, the larger prices in the north and 144 to 149 for November with a pound a month carry. Uh, certainly on the old crop, uh, it now looks like imported again is uh, going to figure for some consumers um, as we uh, get towards the end of the season. Just a general point, really. I think, you know, here we are, we're talking about 144 to 149x for November. That's uh, historically a, a pretty good price, really. Um, and, and over the week, uh, I've had one or two growers saying, well, you know, don't really want to look a gift horse in the mouth. Maybe we should be looking to do something of that for that on the, on the further forwards at, you know, around the £150 mark X and lock in a, a certain percentage of the crop. And really, uh, with all the uncertainty out there, uh, that's probably not bad advice at the moment. Feed barley, uh, old crop for May 147 to 152 with harvest 126 to 131 X farm and November 134 to 139. Old crop spring barley premiums where they're, they're struggling to be pushed any higher by the aggressive uh, feed market and um, at this moment in time we're not really seeing any panic from the maltsters even given the conditions that we're faced with on spring barley. Um, they're, they're sort of indicating 150 to 155 for November. Oilseed rape, uh, again, throughout the week, that's traded somewhere in the region of 285 to 290 for May, with harvest at 280 and November at 290. Old crop beans, 160 to 162x, dependent on area. And I think, you know, we're going into a, a, a critical period over the next two to three weeks, Sean, certainly in the UK. And, um, well, it, it won't matter to some what prices are doing if the crop doesn't get drilled, I'm afraid. Indeed. Thank you. Chris Spratt from Openfield. Chris, no offence. Get off, it's time for the weather. Thank you, Sean. The Farming Programme, five-day forecast. Well, today may be a shower in places. Highs of around 14 Celsius, the wind from the south, 15 to 20 miles an hour. Drier overnight, staying cloudy. Might clear first thing tomorrow morning, six the low. The wind from the south-southwest, again, 10 to 20 miles an hour. And then it's a sunny start to Monday. Will cloud over later. Highs of 13, the wind from the south-southwest, 15 to 20. Overnight, Monday into Tuesday, still cloudy, warmer though, 8 will be the low. The wind from the south, 15, gusting at 35 miles an hour. And that will bring a lovely, sunny, warm day on Tuesday, 18 the high. The wind continuing from the south, southwest, again 15 to 25 miles an hour. Clear skies for a time, Tuesday into Wednesday, though a little bit of cloud in places. 8 generally the low, the wind from the south at about 5 miles an hour. And then another sunny Wednesday by the looks of things, temperatures 19, maybe nudging 20 Celsius. The wind more from the east come the middle of the week at about 12 miles an hour. And then it looks like that sunny period will continue towards the latter end of the week with temperatures in their early 20s, overnight lows of around 10 or 11. It might not last for long though, looks like it will be more unsettled weather to come for uh, next week weekend and the week ahead. We'll keep a check on that with the hourly forecast. But for now, that is the forecast.
Next Saturday, the Young Farmers County Chairman's Charity Ball is being held at the Lincolnshire Showground. It's being organised by County Chairman Matthew Denby, raising money for kidney research, something close to, well, I was going to say Matthew's heart, but actually something very close to Matthew's kidney. Uh, That's more the truth. He himself is awaiting a transplant at the moment, hopefully soon. Uh, You can find out more details about the Charity Ball by emailing uh, social at linksyfc.org.uk social at linksyfc.org.uk Good luck both in the fundraising and the transplant later in the year as well, Matthew. That's next Saturday night. We're back next Sunday morning at the usual time. Until then, have a good week's farming. Make the most of the drier conditions.